Did you know that in the late 1600s, a small group of ordinary people rose up against the establishment and changed society forever? The world called them pirates, but these pirates didn't just break the rules, they rewrote them. They didn't just reject society, they reinvented it. Pirate crews created equal pay, equal say, workplace compensation and even same-sex marriage. In the face of industrial-scale disruption, global conflict and an uncertain future, the pirates of the golden age weren't quite the villains that Disney would have you believe. Welcome to our Be More Pirate podcast. I'm Alex Barker. And I'm Sam Conniff. In 2018, my first book, Be More Pirate, was published by Penguin Random House. After 20 years working with young creatives, the book was an outlet for my frustrations and a quest for some new role models who could capture the spirit of rebellion I knew we so desperately need to tackle the big challenges ahead. And I found it in Pirates. The book then became something far bigger than I ever expected. Be More Pirate is now a global movement of people and organisations taking a stand to update the rules, systems and business models that are no longer fit for purpose. And I went from being Sam's right-hand pirate to leading this community and writing a second book to tell their story. So if you, like so many in our crew, find yourself dissatisfied with the status quo, then this podcast is here to give you permission to do things differently. We'll be interviewing some of the best pirates out there people who really live their values and are willing to stick their head above the parapet for the greater good. We'll tackle some uncomfortable conversation topics and delve into what it really takes to break and rewrite the rules today. In today's episode, we're doing something different and looking not to the future, but to the past to explore the history of piracy. I'm very conscious that there might be some listeners who haven't read Sam's book or know all that much at all about the golden age of piracy and its legacy. But rather than dive into this with the usual suspects like Blackbeard and Henry Morgan or Sam Bellamy, we're going to look at it through the lens of the most famous female pirates on record, Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. So today we're joined by Karina Rodney, an award-winning writer and author of the fantastic audio play Hellcats, which tells the story of Anne and Mary's high seas adventures as pirates. Karina is a Royal Literary Fund Fellow and has had her plays broadcast on BBC Radio 4 and her theatre work includes adaptations as well as original dramas. At the moment she's working on a number of TV ideas and her screenplay The Change is currently in pre-production with producer and director Jen Handorf. She's also written for younger audiences and notably created a stage adaptation of Val McDermott's book My Granny is a Pirate. But today we're going to focus on Hellcats which is truly brilliant and immersive. Given the role that pirates play in popular culture, it's a travesty, in my opinion, that Anne Bonny and Mary Reed have largely been left out of the legend, as they were known to be just as brave and just as fierce as any of the men. So Karina's work is filling this gaping hole in the story of what it means to be a pirate. Welcome, Karina. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us today. It's really great to have you here. Nice to be here. Um, I wanted to start today's episode by just reading a few of the lines from Hellcats that I really loved because <laughs> I think I'm sure as a writer, you must, you, you you spend so much time crafting the words and the sentences and thinking, will anyone, <laughs> will anyone notice <laughs> how much effort's been put into this? Well, at least that's how I see it. So I think it's really nice when people pick out and go, you know, I really love that bit. There was a bit near the beginning where Jack says to Anne, you are a pirate that turns heads and you count the turn of every one. And I really like that because it obviously shows that Anne is, is quite an attractive woman, but that she 
you know, will, will tear down whoever crosses her path at the same time. Um, so it's quite a potent, dangerous combination, I think. And I also love the line where Anne says, I will not have a manacle made for my heart when she's having the conversation with her former husband, James, about not having a, a child with him. And I thought it was a really good reflection on that. I mean, I really felt it, the feeling that she doesn't have no maternal feeling at all, even though she's quite ruthless. She knows that she'd never be able to return to piracy if she had a, a child again. But my favourite line is the one quite near the beginning, where I think it's Anne that says, sooner or later, we all have to dance with the pirates. And it's so yeah. it was such a good intro to the kind of journey they're about to go on. So the first question I had was really just, what was it that made you want to write about pirates and, and about Anne and, and Mary specifically? Well, I came across Anna Mary years ago, and I've always been interested in lesser told histories. So working class histories, people who were considered villains on the outside of society. And I came across them. I'm not sure, I can't even remember how, I think it was in a book. And I was on a scheme at the time, we were encouraged to write TV pilot and develop a series idea. So I just took this idea and I loved it. And I ran with it and I researched them and I loved them. It was like about 13 years ago, it was a long time ago, and wrote this pilot and developed the opening episode, which is very different from the audio episode. But we all got to pitch to John York, who was head of commissioning at the BBC. And we were all taken into this room. There's about seven of us. And he opened the discussion with, please, please don't pitch me anything on water. Oh, my goodness, Hornblower cost so much money. And, and I was sat there as a new writer. And I had to go in and pitch to him. And my opening scene was in the Caribbean with three ships. And it was this sort of awful moment where I realised I just got caught up with the idea and being completely deluded that anyone would commission that from a new writer who was completely unheard. It was the most painful, embarrassing pitch of my life. It was just tumbleweed. And as I was talking to him, I was panicking and every second word was, seas Caribbean pirates as he just <laughs> kind of looked at me and then I sort of shuffled out and it was so humiliating I just left this idea on my laptop on the hard drive and every time I updated my laptop I thought shall I just get rid of it shall I just clear it and I didn't and they stayed in my heart and then when I went to pitch ideas for Audible I put it in at the very last minute with one of my ideas and then I had my meeting with Lydia to discuss my ideas and she was like you can have as many ships as you like it's it's audio and I was like oh they live <laughs> so like it was idea it's not always a, a bad idea it just might be the right idea at the wrong time for the wrong person but you know female pirates working class women I mean I just couldn't believe I'd never heard of them more people know of them now. I think they're in black sails as well, but pirates are interesting. They were exciting to me. I never knew about female pirates and I just love them. As soon as I came across them, I was just fascinated by them. Pretty daunting pitching to John York. I've got his book in front of me and I've used it fairly, <laughs> fairly religiously. So, you know. I do have right? that book, but I really probably shouldn't complain about John York because he's still... <laughs> no, no. <yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> Amazing. So knowing what you know, and sorry for any, anyone out of context remembering this audio, John York wrote this amazing book called Into the Woods, How Stories yeah. Work and Why We Tell Them. And it, it's, it's, it's absolutely great. But what he's talking about is why we tell them. So the same question that Alex asked, you know, how did you come to this? But the kind of, the why did you come to this? If you're interested in lesser known stories, unusual suspects, working class female, counterintuitive role models perhaps, why? What is it that you hope to achieve through the stories that you tell? Well, they're exciting women, and I don't think we see enough of exciting women that perhaps don't earn their place by being beautiful. I think in the media, in films and TV, a lot of the stories we're told, you know, they have to be told. Women kind of have to earn that space. And I'm very so different from that because they're not necessarily noble or... You know, they're not charitable, they're not good, they're not giving, they're not the things we often attribute to women whose stories are worth telling. And then it also kind of relentless in their drive, which I found really appealing. They were brave. And I think still there's that challenge today, I think, to women to kind of force their spaces and, you know, find the space for their stories. And I just thought, well, why aren't they well known? Why aren't they as well known as Blackbeard or Captain Vane? Why aren't we hearing them? And there was a Netflix series about pirates and they had Anne in, but they didn't have Mary. So I was particularly interested in Mary. And I thought Anne's earned her place in some way. She's the best known because she was beautiful. And that's why people know of her. And even in this documentary series on Netflix, you know, she was shown as being very promiscuous borderline prostitution, very beautiful. And Mary just didn't get a mention who is part of that story. And I thought even now we yeah. are limiting the stories that we tell and, and what they have to give and what have we lost out by not hearing these stories, these amazing characters, these amazing roles for people to play. And so, you know, pirates, lesbian pirates possibly. You know, I just thought I was going to go in and pitch that and someone was going to just produce a huge check, you know, like a comedy check when you win the lottery. I just thought, who wouldn't watch this? Who wouldn't watch Lesbian Pirates? It's so interesting. I don't know, Sam, if you want to speak to the Netflix documentary, seeing as you participated in that. But um, I (laughs) believe, yeah. And But I think the the reason I actually wanted to talk to you in the first place was because of listening to you do the panel discussion with the Greenwich Maritime Museum and the fact that it came up that, you know, if you think about the Pirates of the Caribbean and the character of Captain Jack Sparrow and how it's quite obvious that there are elements of Calico Jack Rackham in his character and his flamboyance and his sort of obsession with his own legend but not necessarily being particularly successful pirate. And the fact that... Anne and Mary were yet again entirely left out of that story, even though they were more prominent in many ways. And then even if you look at Black Sails, which I love, it's almost like they've blended the character of Anne and Mary into one character, which is Anne, who's still Jack's sidekick. And she's strong, but she's not the way that you've portrayed her, which is clearly the leader. So I thought that was really interesting that we're still not able to, like you say, perhaps portray women to their truth. And I think that's a lot of that is to do with the myth of, you know, the still today in society, this need for women to be likeable and agreeable, and they're just not that. <laughs> you know, there's narrow roles for them. And the thing where pirates went outside of society's limitations and created their own society, created, you know, 
in some ways a, a democratic society and within that they earned their place they were equal and I don't know why we wouldn't want to see that in its full glory and of course I've taken the facts as they're known and, and made something else out of them and built a story upon that but you know these were fierce women and pirates and that's a natural story isn't it of interest it's a necessary conversation and we have to address the inequality that we're currently in. I can't remember the statistic last year. It would take 200 years for the current gender pay gap to, to right itself if we continued at the pace we're at, right? So we know that we need to keep looking at this head on and accepting all of our parts in perpetuating the inequality, you know, right down to me and you and we all, we all play a role. This story and the unfairness of how it's told begins in the, in the early 1700s. So like contextually, can you paint a bit of a picture of that? Because yes, there are these radical Ronalds, but radical compared to what? The place of women still is, is unequal, but how unequal are we talking? Can you put it into context? Like, Well, at that time, you know, women, if they were divorced, they only had what their husbands gave them. They couldn't instigate a separation or a divorce. They couldn't own property. They couldn't vote. And I think for women uh, such as Anne and Mary, who were illegitimate without fortune, even though Anne's father became quite wealthy, Without his support, she had nothing. And Mary was from poverty. The choices available to you to have freedom, to have money, apart from marrying well, was extremely limited. I mean, it was kind of for working class women who wanted to make a fast book. There was prostitution. And that was about it, really. You know, there was no other way to earn a high living without attaching yourself to marriage, which then again, within a marriage, you lost all your power. You couldn't take your children with you if you left. You couldn't take the clothes on your back unless your husband gave you them. So options were incredibly limited. So for women to kind of look at that society and go, I don't even want to engage with that. I want to yeah. move outside that to another society. They're still quite male dominated, but in the pirate world, there were, codes of conduct, you know, captains, unless they own the, the ship, they were voted in. You know, you could sign on for a certain amount of time. About a third of crews from the Bahamas where they were, were African or African-American or ex-slaves. It was a much more democratic society in lots of ways. And I think the appeal of being part of that and also to being allowed to take control within that situation. I mean, women basically had, they had no power at all. You, you really bring that bit to life, I think, at the moment when Anne is about to be sold on the market because she because <laughs> she refuses to go back to her husband and, and Jack offers to buy her. And she won't yeah. even have that, even though she knows he's just, you know, that means she'll be able to join the, the crew again and, and live as an equal. She can't tolerate the idea that a man would buy her on and be able to buy her on a market, which, you know, yeah. which I, I was listening to and thinking, wow, that's admirable, but also strategically stupid. Yes. <laughs> so uh, at the moment, but yeah, I like the way that you brought out that sort of absoluteness of her character, it seemed. She was a character, I think, without compromise, which makes her incredibly frustrating sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, like she would drive you mad, I think, in some ways. But I think that the pirate aspect of her beyond actually literally being a pirate is that thing of single-mindedly 
and determinedly going for what you want. And part of me was thinking, please just let lovely Jack you know, buy you and save you from this. And at the time, you know, the account of the time said that she said, I will not be bought and sold like a pig, you know, like a hog at market. And I was thinking, but he's going to do something horrible to you if you don't go. But she wouldn't, you know, she, she would not be controlled she would not be bought they couldn't be bought they couldn't be bribed they couldn't be bought they wouldn't turn on each other i'm trying to remember the title of that famous pamphlet the proto-feminist literary circles of london and it, and it tackles with exactly this as it begins to warm up the argument towards the suffragettes and universal suffrage can you name any direct links or do you hypothesize any links where anne and mary's story then had an impact on the next advance of you know, feminism and female icons and the argument away from property towards suffrage and, and other rights. Well, I was reading a theory that perhaps one of the reasons their story, even though it became like a bestseller within the general history of Pirates book, and they went to be the headliners in that, they kind of moved up in the second edition and all the other pirates came underneath them that were collected in this book, which was the account of the time. And it was written two years after the, the trial. But then they kind of disappeared a little bit. And there is a theory that that story was then downplayed because it was threatening to society to read about these women. And I'm thinking about a few years later from them and I'm researching a, a new idea. And, you know, The Beggar's Opera, which came out in 1728, eight years after Anna Mary, which was really revolutionary in its stories of the underclass and highwaymen and women and prostitutes but the writer after that had written a story based on a female pirate that was his next big work and this had been the most successful theatre piece ever you know the, the beggars opera so of course it was going to be a show if I hit and it was called Polly the pirate and it was banned it wasn't allowed to be produced and it was set in the same area. It's, and I, you know, I'm thinking now, is there any way, you know, my writer's imagination, could they have met or, you know, those two worlds collided? Where where did this inspiration come from? Uh, whether it's from the, the, you know, the famous story, you know, the book that was out. But it was banned as being dangerous. And the character had, you know, lovers and was living out, outside society's rules for women and taking what she wanted and robbing. And the hero of the piece, and it was banned it wasn't allowed to be shown as too dangerous mm. so I think I do wonder about that downplaying that submerging of the story that at that time would have been really well known was seen as as something that should be quashed as something that shouldn't be discussed because then they kind of disappeared I think out of the common consciousness quite some time. I seem to remember it was uh, banned by royal decree literally and and it was that time that we're moving towards the the working class call for greater you know rights working rights equal rights and so that whole story was being used in its metaphor more and more and more and obviously that terrified the status quo and that's, that's always been my suspicion as well that the real yeah. reason that the story was quashed was because the power and it seems to me that it's not and i wonder what you think that the power of the story becomes greater after the end of the golden age of pirates it begins to be inhabited by other yeah. people taking it on board. And they were at the tail end, weren't they, of the golden age of piracy, you know, but they were holding on at the end. And yeah, 
I think there is something inherently threatening to society about women who don't need to be married, who don't need to obey the rules, who'll go and rob male-owned property. It's interesting that you talk about the power in the story and, yeah, the role that pirates play in general in popular culture and how, and how obviously now that has been trans- transmitted over time. Yeah, they're, they're not playing the role that they should play, I think, in fueling revolution. I mean, I'm trying, <laughs> but... It's interesting that it feels as though pirates have been condensed down to this singular character to me, which is this baddie, this tyrannical, fierce captain sort of image. When actually, what's so interesting when you look at the history of the the Golden Age and and before even, that you have this real cast of different characters that are quite distinct from each other, that have different interpretations and different roles to play in what it means to be pirate. And you really bring that out with Anne and Mary in the in the play. Could you talk a bit about their characters and how they are different and the way that they work together as well is amazing. As I said before, I was really interested in in creating Mary, you know, based on what is known of her and thinking about her character more. So they are very different. And I think Mary's a little bit older than Anne and she couldn't rely on her looks (laughs) you know she didn't have you know she did get married before she um, became a pirate but she served in the navy and she served in the British army so I was thinking about what that would take to actually go AWOL from the navy and risk that and I I struck with that she's probably got a really strong sense of right and wrong and that she's stubborn and determined and perhaps a little bit more realistic about the world than Anne because she's had to survive solely on her own wits and bravery and I thought what it would take to actually fight in the army against men and with men or what those attributes gave her and I think she's much more clear-headed like when they get arrested and are in prison and she says to Anne you know I'm gonna die in here because I'm poor like Anne was always expecting you know an escape that something would happen that you know, she in some ways slightly naive and I think Mary's very realistic about her situation. And I think there's an ability about her in her loyalty and her honesty. Her vulnerability, I think, is that thing of being the unwanted child. I think a lot of it comes down to that. Whereas Anne, I think the difference in them, a big fundamental difference in building their characters for me was that I knew Anne was loved by her mother and she was loved by her father. And Mary's mother used her to gain money and didn't really care about her at all and she didn't know her father at all and it planted that seed that need to be loved in Mary which is her Achilles heel and her vulnerability and I think what makes her incredibly moving as well was Anne has that confidence of being loved of people falling in love with her but she has that bedrock of stability Mm. from her mum and dad and I thought I wanted to filter that through, but not in a really obvious way, but that was in my mind as I was writing them and thinking about how they reacted to different situations and also how they reacted to each other. So when Mary finds herself deceived, she is heartbroken and it also hardens her. It makes her quite ruthless as well. There's something about legends and myths that helps us understand the world and the things that we want. And everybody wants to believe that love stories are real, right? And we want to believe that the legend is real. It's a bit of a coping mechanism, I suppose. And then when you find out that it's really true, you know, it's kind of life affirming, isn't it? And 
And I think there's something in that, like the desire to seek these stories and inspiration in the shadows and know that part of ourselves. And then, you know, it's like the hardest test. Can these difficult and dark people and monsters still have real love and, and that kind of real connection? What has the response been from people? Because you're not just, you're not telling the rudimentary pirate story that people know, you're taking it to levels and shadow levels. What's been the response that you've had from, from listeners? I've had a really positive response and rather tragically, I do look at every review that comes in. I know that's a really bad thing to do, but often people are surprised by the story and how it connected to them because it was marketed as, you know, a queer story and that's how it was really pitched. You know, some people have written that they didn't think it would be their thing, but they've found ways to connect to it. It's Adam and Mary that they connect to, but also some of the lesser pirates like Todd and the vulnerability of them, I think. But I think it surprised people that it's it's based on truth, but also that it connects to them in a way now and I think that thing of being an outsider of not fitting in neatly of having to find your place rather than having a place open up to you that the world is a welcoming place and if you don't fit into it neatly it could be problematic but something like that and also quite a lot of men saying they were surprised to enjoy it as much as they did because it's pitched very much as a you know female pirate story so I've been really lucky and people messaging and things and, and sending emails and, and there was only you know there was one person who's quite angry who said it was too woke and so they couldn't listen to it but I think that was the only really negative thing I've read so far but I thought that, that you know it had actually made them quite angry so to see people surprised by it I think thinking this is wasn't going to be my thing or this wasn't what I was expecting it to be because to me as a writer I mean plot is important but what moves us is recognizing something in people's stories that feels real to us yeah that's what's important that's what gives us satisfaction it's being seen and understood and perhaps seeing the world slightly differently as well but feeling that you're not alone I mean that's I can never remember the quote there's that beautiful quote from history boys with Alan Bennett and he said it feels like someone's reaching out and holding your hand that moment of connection you know, heroes, in some ways, they're not likeable in a lot of ways, but there's something about them that is very appealing. I'm not putting that down to my writing. I'm putting that down to, you know, the characters that they were. Well, appealing and, and not appealing, love and hate, you know, you've touched on this yeah. really, really well. And it's, you know, what we just said about the, the opera being banned. It was so popular uh, that it got hated as well. And that means you're on something. I totally understand, you know, reading your reviews. I think it's, I think it's healthy. And someone told me that you, you, what you never want is the threes. What you want is either one star or five star because yeah. you either want people to love what you've done or hate what you've done. You want an emotional response. So even the ones that really, like people attacking me, saying they want their money back. It was, <laughs> you, know, you learn to realize that that's great. That's a response. What you don't want is indifference. And that would be true to Anne and Bonnie, I'm going to guess. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I know I'm really pleased. I feel exactly the same about the threes. I read the ones. I've got a few. Most of them were about the technical stuff because I couldn't download it. Very few. And they got lots of fives, which obviously I love. Yes. And then it's like very, very, I can't remember this, very few threes. But I, I don't bother reading those. I like yeah. only, to, I like to read the really ones, that, you know, the bad ones, the good ones. A lot of the power in it is also down to technical skill around like pacing and being able to, um, you know, carry a story arc through from episode to episode so that there's a sense of like, you know, you you are invested in the characters because they're they're really well built up and you relate to them but 
you know, there's a sense of like, oh, we just want to know what happens at this point. Like, oh, you can feel they're going to fall off a cliff edge here and something's going to go wrong, but will they see it through or what will happen? So, yeah, it's really, really, really well done. You know, that was recording the amazing director, Kate Saxon, and the technical staff that just pulled out all the stops to make it happen. I mean, there were characters in there that were like James Bonney, who was Anne's first husband. And I really liked him. And uh, one of the producers, the script editors, was saying, you keep bringing him back. When is he going to, like, die? And he'd, like, pop up again because I loved him so much, even though he was a villain. I thought he was kind of charming and he also had to survive by his wits. And then he was like, you know, I thought, how long can I keep this going before, you know, I have to call him? But I loved James Bonnet. And in real life, he was someone that, sold her this tale of piracy and he'd actually taken the pardon and was now an informer so she arrived there thinking this is going to be the most exciting life ever and it turned out he wasn't really a proper pirate and I thought I was interested in him. As a writer and your own storylines you had license to to interpret I mean we all have license to interpret I think with pirates because the history is you know fallible but their story is so good and then, so you you follow the the arc of their story as much as we know. But were there any points as a writer you were? Like, I really wanted, I really want to introduce X, or I really want to change the ending, or I really wish Anne had done this, or you know, or, or you know, and that you almost competed with the narratives that you've got. You know, if you could have changed you know, major parts of their story, would you? Or is there, you know, in a way, it's kind of they've got such perfect story arcs. It goes back to John Woods, you know, John York. They really do like go full circle, yeah, don't they? They have perfect story arcs. But I kind of like wanted them. You know, there's a t- there was a I wanted them to have their own ship, you know, and be on their own for a bit, yeah, so yeah, they yeah. were. And yeah. I kind of thought about that the story in, in in the account that is understood to be true about Anne burning down the plantation. I thought about the impact of that and kind of what that meant. I wanted to bring in some of the, like, slavery story as well right, and great. her culpability and having to kind of face her background. So also their crimes weren't nearly as exciting. You know, they were quite small scale. They took a really big ship once and that was quite daring because they got onto the small ship and their other ship was fired on and they were firing on the wrong ship. So, um, but at the end, they were just like robbing fishing boats and things, which is what I had in. So I kind of had, I've played around a lot with actually what, they did getting Captain Bowman back, getting Mary's enemy back and capturing him because I just really wanted him to suffer. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> That's really, really good. And Mary doesn't do forgiveness and I thought she would be ruthless. She would whip him. And then you can actually get hold of the um, court transcripts and things, some cute, the archives at Q. So there's quite a lot of information there. But I wanted to bring Captain Bowman back for the trial and his pomposity still needed, you know, to be ended. So I think that was always my baseline was following the art because it was brilliant, but having the freedom to play with it as well. It's a tricky period to interpret because there is, you know, some fairly decent historical records and understanding, but then also you've got so much to play with. I mean, it's a question I get asked and and Sam gets asked a lot of the time around when we kind of come in with our, perhaps our version of pirates, which is that they should be seen more as as role models for um, challenging and changing the status quo when it seems unfair and just. And obviously there's such scope for interpretation as to why they did it, you know, whether it's a freedom, personal gain, or there is a a bigger moral fight going on. And, And I think there is, there certainly were characters who were intent on taking down the establishment that treated them badly. 
and I like you know it's nice to be able to play up to that but I think what you you show in the play is that everybody's kind of hanging on by their teeth at some point and that everybody in that era has to use their wits in order to survive whether you're playing by the law or not at different times like almost every character you feel like in our terms might feel a bit morally dubious but that's because they don't have this sense of stability that we're perhaps used to where we think that there will be somebody there to save you or protect you in the end and just what was your interpretation of Anne and and Mary's and actually Jack's I'm quite interested in sort of sense of moral character there was a, a morality amongst pirates I mean Jack he used to serve under Captain Vane, who was a famous pirate. And there was one incident where Vane didn't take on an attack on his ship because he thought it was too big. And his men were really annoyed. And so they voted him out as captain and Jack in as captain. And they, they marooned Vane for a while, but they knew he would be found, but left him with lots of food and lots of weapons so he would be okay. But I think that democracy of we're not happy with your leadership. So we are allowed as pirates under our charter to vote you out. That whole area before Governor Woods Rogers turned up to sort it out, we had more pirates in that port area of New Providence Island than it had civilians. And at one point, Blackbeard was like the mayor, you know, the governor. But they came up with a general charter for all pirates, which was about how the loot was shared out, which is very democratic. The stages of command, the captain, quartermaster, the master, and then everyone else got equal shares. Each ship had a separate charter, but there was general rules that they had to obey. And they agreed on themselves. And that was, you know, that you got pensions, that you got compensation if you were injured. There were set figures for losing a limb, that you were not cast out without care, that your pensions could go to your family, that male pirates could go through a marriage ceremony. You know, it might be their friend, it might be their lover, but it was a marriage ceremony on board to protect them. And in a world where the Navy was incredibly brutal, I think that's remarkable that the people who were the villains had the most democratic way of working and a type of social services, you know, you know, it's benefits. So, you know, they weren't all great, but you were condemned if you were cruel to women, if you were cruel to children, that was a, you were supposed to be kind to your prisoners. And it was a system that worked because they wanted when they captured ships to take on the crew that you could choose to be a pirate. And, you know, you're not going to choose that if it didn't offer a reasonable standard of living. In fact, that they were democratic in terms of, you know, you were equal, whatever your racial background was, there was democracy there. And I think like the fact that Jack took care of his ex-boss, that Jack took Anne on as an equal, and then Mary as an equal as well. And Jack was uh, rumoured to be bisexual. I mean, Pierre was a real character that was supposed to be Jack's lover. I can't think of any sphere of society apart from the aristocracy that would get away with that without censor. This point of right and wrong is really, really interesting because lots of the things that we're talking about that at the time would have been viewed as wrong and condemnable, we can see, you've just listed out many of them, are now things that aren't just right but they're they're laws. So there's been a huge kind of shift and this is often the case with people who are challenging authority Not always, but if you're challenging authority and you're on the arc of history where you're going to set out and write new rules, there has to be a moment where you're on the wrong side of the law, but you're on the right side of 
morality. And then over time, lots of the things the pirates were unlawfully doing in time became law or new precedents. And it's easy to overstate or get carried away that the pirates' role in all of this, because they were proto-democratic, proto-feminist, they were releasing slaves. All these things happened in their wake. How much credit should we give them without overblowing something that we're obviously all passionate about? But also, let's not misunderstand the role that they played. What's, wh wh where do you sit on this? What their long-term influence with on these big black and white right and wrongs? Well, I think I've been a bit naive because I think their rights and the way they operated and the challenge to how the status quo was in operating, in being a boss, you know, in having employees, that you could work in a much more cooperative way. You know, I think they had a hugely positive influence, but I, I, I had that assumption that most people would think that way, challenged with the whole statue debacle about Hellcats when you know the statues were meant to go up and then the outcry in that local community was you know we're celebrating pirates they're bad they're evil they're thieves they're murderers and we're not having it and that was a real surprise to me mm. because I think obviously it's not okay to steal and it's not okay to take people's ships and you know near the end they were robbing people who didn't actually have that much which is much more problematic to me than robbing the rich but on the scale of things and the wrongs that were being committed by society at that time and the way that the government would use them so they legitimize them and pardon them and use them to do their dirty work and then criminalize them again you know they were obviously capable of following orders when they needed to but then not having the autonomy to go outside that as well I think that's great example of how to work and you know how they treated each other but I think that might not be popular I think I'm being quite naive in thinking that's probably quite a popular idea I know I'm so glad you were you you sort of agree and or agree with our take on things and just for anyone who um perhaps wasn't aware of, of the statue debacle. Um, you're referring to the, the recent statues of Anne Bonny and Mary Reed that were created by the sculpture, sculpturist, is that word? Yeah. Um, Amanda Cotton, and they were due to go up in, in Devon, I believe, a part, yeah. part of Devon. And the, yeah. the local community didn't, didn't want um, a depiction of pirates to be represented there. And I would say that that's yeah, a general misunderstanding about who pirates were. And, and I, I'm fascinated by... The, the yeah general misunderstanding of where we are morally at, actually in some in some regards and this notion that you know in the 1700s what was legal was moral at the same time we might be able to stand behind that now there's obviously lots of instances where i'd say that that's still untrue but the idea that you would equate morality in with legality at all costs in an era when people were publicly hanged that that I think that's just a sense of actually, if you step back and you look at it and you examine the scenario, we've seen this in our in our workshops and talks and things that people do go, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe not, maybe that yeah. wasn't the case. But when it just comes at sort of face value and you say pirates, people go no. And I think the fact that there were female pirates, and I mean, one of my favourite local newspaper headline that I found online about it because I, I just started reading all the comments because I couldn't believe it, was towering concrete lesbians. It was an objection to towering. I just thought, oh, my God, that sounds amazing, towering <laughs> concrete 
<laughs> I thought it's like the best name for a band, isn't it, or something? But yes. but I think I wonder how much it had to do with them, you know, as I portrayed them, and they're commonly understood to have been in a relationship, and the fact that they were female. And I thought, you know, you've got Whitby doing very well out of Dracula, and you know. Um, the, the community that turned it down actually has a pirate day, you know, where everyone's encouraged to dress as pirates and, you know, celebrate and come into town. And you think, mm, you know, what what is the real issue here? And they were not known for being murderous and they were not cruel pirates, you know. They were, um, um, you know, amazing women. And it was really angry. A lot of the response was like hugely angry that these, and they're not concrete, they're absolutely beautiful. And they were designed to go with, well, it's marine concrete. So they, they would be covered by the tide and they were designed and beautiful rose quartz in Anne to represent the fire in her. But the idea that, you know, marine life can live within them and on them and they become part of the landscape i mean whoever gets those statues i mean amanda's very close to finding them a home they're beautiful and i'm sure they're going to be hugely popular with visitors but it was about them being the criminality came a little bit lower down than the uh the fact that they were towering lesbians it's so interesting isn't it and that, i mean I, I think every town center needs some towering concrete lesbians frankly yeah. And it's this thing which we saw from the bars, you have to head towards your fears, or at least you have to know what your fears are, because if you don't, then they tend to work against you. And so, I mean, it's fairly clear on one level what society is scared of by towering concrete lesbians. But part of it, I think, is we're just scared of our past, because it's quite few and far between, as we've seen with some of the other controversy around statues being pulled down. As we come to terms with our past, it's pretty hard to remove many of our ancestors from industries and roles and subjugation and exploitation that is deeply uncomfortable and wouldn't fit and be appropriate with the world as we now understand it. What's going on? There's a bit of a pirate zeitgeist. The success of your work, the success of our work with Be More Pirate, the success of the documentary you mentioned was like rating at number two in the world on Netflix. Here we are in 2021, 300 years exactly after the kind of almost the golden age of the golden age of pirates. Why is this message returning and resonating now? There's always something so appealing about breaking boundaries, isn't there? And refusing to fit in and taking from what is seen as an increasingly unjust society where wealth is concentrated in such a tiny minority and often achieved through much more dubious means and uh, piracy, uh, you know, as we understand it. And to see someone take the life that they want and make the life that they want against every element that's telling them they can't have that life is appealing, isn't it? As we're all perhaps feeling increasingly boxed in, not just through lockdown, but expectations. And it's harder, isn't it? It's harder for a lot of people to achieve a notion of freedom, I think, what they understand as freedom. And the idea of that home, like property, isn't an issue at all with pirates. Is it? It's not something that, you know, they weren't building up property empires with their wealth. I mean, I think fame was worth like three, they were worth the equivalent of millions of pounds. And most of that money worked directly back into the immediate community of, you know, taverns and having a good time and being decked out in amazing jewels and things. They enjoyed life and they lived in the present. They lived in the moment. And 
you know, all hemmed in by huge mortgages and worried about job security and the appeal, I think, of people just absolutely going for it, not forward planning at all. I just think creating a life, who, who of us gets to follow that, truly follow that? Yeah. So hard. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that Pirates is about, well, we always say Pirates is about permission, but it's about freedom above and beyond anything else. And it's interesting, yeah, that we have created supposed freedom from certain things over time, perhaps freedom from disease that would have caught that generation um, out, freedom from um, for large swathes of the population, poverty. But we've created new prisons instead, particularly in our minds. <laughs> so I think it's it's an, it's the same battle, just fought differently in many ways. And the need for pirate is still very much there. I think so. And we're so scrutinised now, aren't we? And everything's, you know, online and judged. And I think the thought of living in the way that they did was was without actual care about how anyone thought of them or saw them. And the freedom to be the self-autonomy of it. And it's sometimes hard, I think, now to know what you actually do want, what you actually do need to be happy because we're bombarded with adverts and media that's telling us what we should have, what's expected of you, what you should have achieved by a certain age. You know, you're meant to feel guilty if you haven't got the house, if you're not married, if you don't have the children. And, you know, to have these characters, that is not a concern. I think that would be so liberating, wouldn't it, to actually reconnect with what you need a want for your own happiness which might be seen as a little bit selfish because you're thinking of your own happiness but you know we're told what we should have we're told what we should need what we should be achieving what we should aim for I don't know how often we ask ourselves what it actually is that touched on the final question that I'd written down in all of this and you may have just answered it so apologies in advance if I ask you to repeat yourself but I think there's so much in this around identity I think part of the appeal of pirates is this kind of notion of avatars. Uh, I always use the line that people have more fun at a fancy dress party than anywhere else because you get the chance to choose who you want to be in that moment. And I think, picking up what Alex said about the, the, the prisons that we make for ourselves in our minds, I think the, the crisis, one of the crises is going on at the moment that's hard to pinpoint is a crisis of identity. And it's close to the epidemic levels of, of anxiety we face because kind of well, the fundamentals of any neurosis is the difference between who you actually are and who you want you know who you want to be and so the role of playing in characters to to, to negotiate that is a, is a very useful one I think that's part of the reason why these characters are so popular and they have this universal appeal and they allow us to step into or, or imagine stepping into the kind of characters that we want to be and of within all of the pirates people say who's your favorite pirate and I always come back with the story of, of Anne Bonny because I think it really does that and you were just touching on this and so I wonder whether it's your own perspective or from a, a reader's point of view or even in right back to my very first question what's your what's your hope in writing this not just to tell lesser known stories but but why why are they important because this role about finding out who we are seems like it's pretty fundamental to fixing any other fucking shit show that we've got going on why would we do that like, what is it that we want am I laying too much on it or do you think that their role in helping and people understanding in this moment of identity is is real I know what they gave to me and I'm certainly not in the first flush of youth and writing them and begin the freedom to develop their story in exactly how, the way that I wanted. It made me so much braver 
about my own writing and the things I want to tackle and want to write about now. It's taken me like 20 years to get to this point, be less concerned about other people's approval and to think about the stories I want to tell. And I think it's not only that they said yes to life, they also said no to a lot of things. And I think, you know, as someone as a struggling writer, it was like, don't say no to everything. Everything's an opportunity and it's not always that way. And I was thinking, we might go on to talk about who I thought of as pirates at Alex. That was one thing you asked me. And I was thinking about that ability to say no as well, to clarify what it is, what it is that makes you happy, that you need, that you want. And they did teach me that because I spent so much time with them. By the time I finished, it was longer before the edit and it was like 670 pages of script and I was just intensely writing it for months and months. I was just thinking about them all the time and they became absolutely real to me because I was with them all the time. I spent more time with them than anyone else in my life. And um, I think that thing of what they said no to, what they were able to turn down, what they had the bravery to reject, to keep on going to their own fulfillment, even though it didn't particularly end well, even though you wanted to say from the sidelines, stop, don't do that. They were absolutely true to themselves because they knew themselves. And I think that knowing yourself is the answer, it is the key, or with all your flaws, with all your hang-ups, And I think it's okay to say no and it's okay to say yes to what you want and to pursue that. That doesn't make you a bad person. It it can make you happier and that makes everything better. And it might not be things people agree with. It might not be things that people think are good. The people who care about you might be shouting no from the sidelines silently as well. But, you know, this is our one life. This is our one time. And... You know, be more and be more merry has become my motto. Damn right. <laughs> yes, um, we know <laughs> for sure. I just wanted to pick up on one last thing before you go, because you did also mention about who you might yeah. imagine to be modern incarnations of Mary and Anne. But I also, you know, wanted to just bring in the com- into the conversation the fact that we are talking about sort of queer or non-binary characters in history and what you've just said about them saying yes and no at the same time to certain things and the fact that they were fluid in both their sexuality and their gender. You know, they were free to say yes and no at certain times to both of those things and those things didn't have to be problematic or difficult for them And because you are very clear at the same time they knew who they were and they knew that they could be both at the same time and that is remarkable, I think, in context of today. I think today especially, and it's very empowering to be able to name your identity, your sexual identity, your gender identity. I felt like how I felt I wanted to portray them and felt really true to me and to them was that they're not conflicted. It's fluid. It changes. You know, they were both pregnant when they were captured. They were both examined by doctors. They were having relationships when their main relationship was with each other. I see it as the love of their life. And love Jack. Mary fell for another guy. Jack was bisexual. And I think the fact that they just didn't question it, they absolutely owned it. And it was instinctive and natural. And that's what it is, is the naturalness of their choices that they 
loved who they loved they had sex with who they wanted to have sex with and Mary does explore it a little bit more and I think because her life she she retained that that male dress that male identity and she knows herself and she talks about she's not conflicted by it I love that about them that they'd never seem to question that and I think that is an ownership as well that is being more pirate that is being true to yourselves and I thought they wouldn't probably have liked being labeled just one label they would have just embraced it all and I think you know the pirate crews of the time were much more liberal in that way so yeah I have had you know people say to me but I see them as trans or I see them as this and and that's good because I think how they connect to people how they identify people is is truthful you can bring your own experience to that but I think they were more fluid in terms of identity I don't think they would have chosen to you know limit themselves they never they didn't limit themselves in anything did they we've said that um Alex and I lots of this the it often comes back to this in a reflection that the most important rule to break is one's own limitations and I think you're right I think it's an excellent summary of it I think you're totally right that's what that's what they represent in all the rules they broke and that central point about who you are is the one we all need to keep keep working on final thought is yeah. this about the pirates? Yeah. I was thinking about this so hard and thinking I'm quite shallow because everyone seemed almost to be from the entertainment world. Because I also thought I don't want anyone to like completely noble or super good. <laughs> but yeah. and then I thought if I was gonna man a pirate ship and I was going to join that pirate ship based on Anna Mary. So I decided I had a little category and I was shifting them up and down. Michaela Cole would be my captain from I May Destroy You. And I was watching a talk by her when she turned down a million pounds from Netflix because they wouldn't let her keep hold of her intellectual property. And I thought it's that thing of saying no and also knowing what you want, owning it, creating representation, truth in storytelling. And I just think she's brilliant. I think her work's brilliant. I thought she is so pirate. Mm. So, yeah. I, I think I'd have Greta Thunberg again because just doesn't care what anyone thinks, just keeps going for it. <laughs> I've also got, got on my ship Kathy Burke, totally pirate, Serena Williams, mm-hmm. oh, no. Rose McGowan, this is my Anna Mary ship, yeah. Amy Schumer, and all of Pussy Riot. <laughs> so that is the ship I'm going to mm. join. Wow. I mean, Pussy Riot self identifies pirate. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. You know what? I had a really late contender. I had Katie Price. Interesting. I thought about Katie Price and I thought, whatever happens, whatever disasters befall, no matter how many mansions burn down, her feet get broken, she runs over a dog, whatever happens, she is an absolute unapologetic trooper. Just keeps making it work for her. She just keeps going forward. So she came in. I woke up in the middle of the night and wrote down. <laughs> That is dedication to our podcast. <laughs> that is unparalleled. Yeah. That is an excellent pirate crew. I, I, I want to board, although I'm not sure they're going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, amazing. Thanks so much for um, putting that effort in. And um... Well, I've crewed you a ship, you know. Yeah. It's going to be yeah, an yeah. amazing ship. 
Yeah. I've never played that game, Alex. It's genius. <laughs> I'm off to go and play that now. Well, we, we, you did used to have it because when you used to do, you know, the talks, the original talks, um, I think we slightly disagreed on it, didn't we? Because you'd, you'd have your Time magazines and you'd have, like, these are the modern pirates and uh, up against Sam and Blackbeard and all of them. And I think, you, you know, you put Sheryl Sandberg up as a sort of figure of, you know, great wealth, controversy, but ultimately kind of in charge of something that is a new precedent, whether it's good or bad. And I disagreed because I, I felt that it should be somebody that was more for the greater good, more democratic. But, you know, that it's open to interpretation in that way. So we will be taking no prisoners on that shit. Yeah, we're <laughs> taking no prisoners and and you know, once again it's being revealed to me that alex was right and and got on and and changed things you know regardless of what i was going on about which is just, you know excellent mutiny going on all around <laughs> i know my place it's below deck thank you so much for asking me to come and chat i've so enjoyed it thanks karina really really massively have thank yeah, you very much indeed Really lovely perspective. And should we finish by, you know, saying where people can go and listen and enjoy? Oh, yes. Oh, best thing about it is it's free. So if you've got an Audible membership, it's free to download. So Audible UK, it's also available in the US and Canada and everywhere on Audible.com. And if you haven't got a membership and you'd like to listen to it for free, you can take a membership for a month and download it and then cancel it. That's the pirate way. That's my relationship with Audible ruined in that last sentence. But no, you know, do listen to it. And then you might love it so much you want to listen to more Audible books and keep your membership. I would really, really recommend anyone listening to listen to Hellcats because I put it on as I'm waking up instead of doing something, you know, boring or looking at social media or my emails or whatever. And the whole point of this podcast is to try and give people a, a weekly dose of some inspiration when you've got to the end of the week and you're kind of like, oh, God, like this was hard things are not changing and to have somebody come on and kind of just reinvigorate that spark for you that's actually what listening to hellcats has done for me in the mornings listening to it over the last few weeks so definitely recommend and thank you again thank, thank you thank you very much indeed